Hello, and welcome to Nixa Talk, the podcast for connecting and supporting the people of the asset management industry. I'm Nixa's Jeff Lamoureux, and today's episode is the second in a series called Listen, Learn, and Lead, a dialogue on authentic allyship. In this candid conversation, four leaders from asset management firms share their experiences as professionals of color at various levels of the industry and insights into how allies can best support their colleagues and combat racial injustice at work. Now I'll hand it off to Broadridge's Chief Diversity Officer and this panel's moderator, Nadia Burroughs. Throughout my tenure at Broadridge, I've had the opportunity to listen, not only with my ears, but also with my heart learn from so many individuals at various level, levels and across multiple professional disciplines and lead courageously, creatively, and confidently. Now, I will tell you that it hasn't always been an easy road. However, I found that by seeking out mentors, sponsors, and allies and making myself available to others in the same capacity, that it has been a well-traveled road with lots of laughter, reflection, learning, and sometimes disappointment. But I wasn't alone. Hi, it's Ingrid. I am the Chief Diversity Officer for Eaton Vance, and I've been with the firm for a little over two years. Um, background in HR, actually um, been many different roles, business partner, executive recruiter, university relations manager, all kinds of things. And most recently, over 10 years of my background has been in the area of leading diversity and inclusion for organizations from CPG to aerospace and defense, and now in the asset management industry. So um, happy to say that Eaton Vance is a, you know, one of the founding members of the diversity project uh, over a year or so ago, and I am on the CEO advisory council. So that's a little bit about me. How about um, turning it over to Kim? Thanks, Ingrid and Nadia. Um, I am Kim Evans, and I work for Northern Trust. And I've been at Northern Trust just over 10 years, but have worked in the financial services industry over 25. My current role as Senior Vice President and North American Head of Private Capital Fund Services is basically the group that does all of the fund administration for private capital firms, so middle, uh, some front office, but middle and back office services. I've probably spent the majority of my career or at least two thirds of my career in the asset servicing space in a lot of different disciplines, um, but uh, happy to be here, happy to be a part of Northern Trust and a part of NIXA. Northern Trust also one of our founding uh, partners partners for this particular initiative. So I'll turn it over to you, Noel. Thank you, Kim. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Noel Samu. I work with JP Morgan. I'm currently one of the U.S. leads in financial reporting as under fund services. I've been with the bank for just over a dozen years now, starting off in the hedge fund space and recently moving towards uh, the mutual fund financial reporting space. I've been lucky enough over the years as I've progressed to get involved with, this, with a number of diversity initiatives for the location, uh, being based out of Boston. It's been fun, it's been exciting, and really rewarding to try and make an influence as Jake Morgan strives to improve diversity in the industry. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much, Noel. Before we get started, let's level set on terminology so that we all have a mutual understanding of today's topic. As I mentioned earlier, there are sponsors, mentors, and allies, so I think it's appropriate to define each of those terms as they sometimes commonly get confused. A sponsor usually advocates for you, meaning that they're going to support you, promote you, and back you. 
it's usually a more senior individual that utilizes their influence and network to provide you with more visibility, experience, and or exposure. Sponsorship usually requires both parties to invest their time and energy. A mentor will usually advise and or guide you. It could be an individual in any position with experience in an area that the mentee is looking for support, direction, or advice in. They can provide mentee insights professionally and or personally. Again, this is a relationship that is uh, an investment from both parties. The last is the ally. This means listening to others and their experiences and or differences and attempting to appreciate and value those differences. Self-reflecting on situations that occur, speaking out for someone even when they're not in the room, transferring the benefits of your privilege to those that lack it, standing up even when you feel scared or alone, owning your mistakes, and decentering yourself. Allyship is an area in which you don't have to necessarily sit down with someone for hours or even get to know them on a deep level, but you can still praise, acknowledge, and support them based on the work that you see them doing, either up close or from afar. So with that terminology now defined, um, I would just kind of reinforce again what Jordan mentioned. Please feel free to ask questions throughout the webinar. We will be picking up the questions and integrating it into the webinar. So let's go back to our panelists. Um, I'll pass it over to uh, Ingrid. Maybe if you could get us started and tell us um, how you got started in the industry. Sure. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, had a background in DNI, and the opportunity with Eaton Vance came up, came up, and I was very excited to industry. I have been on a journey of learning um, just how this organization makes money, how it loses money, who the competitors are, um, all of the different changes of volatility in the market. So it's been a great learning opportunity for me. Uh, I will be honest in saying some of the challenges that I think have faced the financial services or asset management industry face many others, such as manufacturing, construction, there's similarity in just opportunities for better representation throughout all ranks of the organization, not just at the early career piece, but it's been for me a good one to be in this space now. I can tell by projects like, you know, this one, diversity project, that NICSA and many other types of organizations are very serious trying to make the change they want to see. And so I'm happy to be a part of it, being on a panel like this to explore this topic and share and grow with others. Uh, that's the big part of it, us having dialogues. That's step one in the process. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, how about, can you guys share some examples of where, when or where an ally can help? So for those that are on the call and thinking about, do they need an ally? Should they become an ally? Uh, when does it help? This is Kim uh, Nadia. I'll, I'll take that one. Um, just to piggyback a little bit off of um, Ingrid's uh, question and answer, I started off in this business, as I mentioned before, over 25 years ago. And at the time, we were still dealing with a lot of physical securities. And the role that I had when I started off was actually uh, called um, security runner. I was I was physically taking uh, securities from a secure window and running them back to the um, processing desk. And I'll say, um, I didn't know much about the financial services industry. I wasn't sure if I was going to have a full career or a long career in financial services, but I was interested. I was curious. And so the idea today that we've named our program 
you know, listen, learn and lead. I, I, I feel like that pretty much describes my career, but having no prior knowledge or education in financial services or the securities, um, you know, industry or asset servicing, I needed allies every step of the way in terms of being able to move my career forward. So Nadia, to think about, you know, how you defined, you know, mentors, um, allies, and sponsors, I've needed all three of those and in voluminous amounts and di- <laughs> voluminous amounts at different times throughout my career to make my current position and role um, that I'm sitting in even possible. But specifically where an ally can really, really be helpful is there are always going to be more people in in rooms and have more knowledge and experience and understanding of certain things than you do. And so the ally is the person who can really open up, you know, um, and, and provide a window into some of your blind spots. And if you can accept you know, the the truths or the, the information coming from places where you do not sit or where you cannot see or where you cannot listen, learn, um, or lead, but you make those experiences a part of your total experience set to make decisions and to help guide you. Um, for me, that has been the most important um, part of uh, having allies along the way because they they gave me roadmaps that I just physically had no way to get to or no way to experience um, what what others were experiencing. So I like to think of this in terms of, you know, I'm I'm listening through others' ears, I'm learning through others' experiences, and then I can lead bringing all of that together. Wow, I, I love that, Kim. Uh, I think really that really tells the story, right? Uh, and for each of us to really kind of think about, you know, sometimes those allies will be your eyes and ears when you can't be everywhere and will give you that honest and direct feedback when you need it the most. So I, I love that. Noel or, or Ingrid, would you guys like to uh, add anything to that? Um, I think Kim did a masterful job of talking about it. I The only thing I would add is is helping the allies feel safe and secure to, to be that. I think there's the other side of the point when someone wants to be an ally, but they're just not sure how. Sometimes I've had conversations, you know, with senior leaders and maybe they are uh, a male and they are struggling on how to be an ally for females in their departments or in their teams. And, you know, they don't want to overstep their bounds. They don't want to say the wrong thing. So sometimes, you know, they come to me for coaching. They they don't say, hey, coach me, but they, they will be in just need of some good old fashioned advice. And so I just try to help be a listening ear, but to also understand what are, what are their concerns or, or what are their fears. And then we try to talk to them. And it sounds very basic, but I think that's, that's another part of the allyship equation um, to kind of just build on what Kim uh, had said is helping people who are in that position to kind of uh, be a supporter of a group or a demographic that maybe they don't have a personal experience with, giving them the confidence to speak up on that behalf and know that there may be a time that they they misspeak or they may um, do something in error. But, um, you know, there's always that constant um, feeling of impact versus intent. And yes, we all battle that. But at the, at the same time, 
you know, doing nothing uh, or standing by and waiting for the perfect scenario to, to come upon you is not necessarily the best choice, the course of action as well. So um, just having that concept of helping allies to feel more empowered to, to be an ally and for individuals that, um, that may need, maybe they are marginalized or just not highly represented within a firm, letting them understand, you know, this is a bit of kind of the other side of the coin, you know, getting want to speak up or do actions to support. So that would be the only um, part to kind of finish off a really well-stated uh, comments by Kim. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I think listening is the key, right? You said that several times, you know, people are coming to you, they may not be asking for help, but if you listen close enough, you know that they're they're seeking your help or your guidance, right? I, and I talked a little bit earlier about decentering yourself, right? So when someone comes to you with something, not making it about you, but just listening to them, right? Sometimes people are just looking for a listening ear. So I definitely agree with both points that you guys made. Um, how about mentors? How, how important do you guys think mentors are? Um, can I, I can kick off with that. Um, I would start off just for, for me, the importance there right off the bat is uh, mentors can expand your view of what, of what is possible. You kind of start out and you have an idea of what you perceive success to be. Uh, but a mentor can be someone who's walked the path you're trying to walk and they, they have learned lessons for you and they can share those experiences so you don't have to make the same missteps. But also more broadly, you, you know, you can expand uh, from their experience and their potentially elevated view what is actually possible, what you perceive as possible and that you can aim for and work towards. Fantastic. Thank you. So as you guys think about the, the, the one question that people get asked a lot, which we could never do, but if you had to, if you could do it differently all over again, what would you do differently? Um, I'll kick off that one again as well. Um, I think for me, um, I started off in audit uh, at a pretty broad perspective of the industry. Um, and then I moved into a more specific area into financial reporting. And I think if I was to do it all over again, I think I would have probably tried to maintain a broader perspective, seen more uh, different sorts of areas of the industry or of the bank. Uh, because as I kind of progress now and as you work across teams to try and move initiatives uh, that benefit the organization, you find that there are different challenges in different areas. And unless you have reliable sources and people and contacts in those various areas to understand their challenges, it is hard to engage them at a level and in a way that they find beneficial and that you can uh, find common ground on. So kind of building those early contacts, early connections, understanding how the different areas work, what challenges they see to achieving certain objectives, I think for me would be a, an area that I would like to have expanded on or improved. Um, this is Ingrid. Kim, I just say... Kim. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Kim. Go ahead, Kim. <laughs> Similar to uh, Noel, just the connections and relationships. Um, every time I'm, I'm asked this question, I think about, you know, over 25 years of a career, did I miss anything in terms of experience? Did I, did I not fight for myself or for someone else um, in a way that I could be proud of? Um, and when I answer those questions, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't have anything that I would do different 
um, just realizing the I used the the full capacity that I had. But the one thing I think, um, looking back, I wish I I would have just um, maybe cherished some of those new budding relationships or, you know, mature relationships and, you know, just found a way to keep them all active. And that's hard over, you know, a 25 year, 25 plus year career. And I've worked at five different financial services organizations. I've had my own businesses um, a couple of times as well. It's hard to do that. But um, if I look back, those relationships and the relationships that you build throughout your career, uh, the ones that you hold on to, the ones that you connect with every now and then, um, you know, they just provide so much value uh, throughout your career and, and really throughout your life. So when I look back, I, I wish I had done more of that. Now, Facebook and Twitter and all of those new, you know, social media apps have definitely helped because I've gone back and LinkedIn have reconnected with people. Um, so that's been great. But yeah, just holding on to those relationships and continuing to nurture them. They don't all have to be nurtured with the same uh, intensity uh, all the time, but holding on to your relationships absolutely matters in the long run. Absolutely. Ingrid, did you want to add something as well? Um, The only thing I would add is I just wish, (laughs) I wish my 22-year-old self knew my XX, whatever (laughs) number you want to fill in there, self, in the sense (laughs) that just having a sense of a compass, um, I think for many women and people of color, because they can't see it, you know, to be it, many times you just, I felt not aimless, like, uh, uh, like in the traditional sense of that word, but more like I didn't understand what the possibilities were as far as career trajectory in so many different fields that it was just hard for me to finally gain the traction and to kind of put a plan in, into place. And I think um, if I would have had some sort of uh, a few, you know, older, you know, mentors and a loose sense of that word you know, around to kind of say, oh, okay, here's where you could have a career in HR. Or if you decided to go into sales, this is what that, that would look like. Had I really looked or sought that kind of direction or it had come upon me by chance, I think that it would be really nice to have someone to kind of just give a little bit more of a guiding post, not necessarily to, to write out my career path for me, but just some more um, examples that, that would have been nice. But that's the only thing I think I would, I would look back and say to, to do that for them. Yeah, you know, I think this question is an interesting question. And when I reflect back on my younger self, I personally think from the perspective of, I wish I would have found my voice earlier. So I I sat through a lot of meetings very early on, wanting to say things and I didn't. And then someone else said it and they're like, oh, that's a great idea, right? I, I wish I would have found that voice earlier. So, you know, for those that are joining the call, if you are just starting out, it, it's okay to find that voice early, to make a mistake to maybe not ask the right question at the right time, but continue to build your confidence. And when you do that, it kind of really will will show out in so many different ways that you never expected. So I definitely uh, think about, you know, re- reflecting on my younger self as well. How about how about uh, fine tuning, going specifically drilling down on diversity? How would you have made more of an impact on diversity when you look back on your careers? 
This is Kim. Uh, Nadia, to your point, uh, you know, finding your voice and having the courage to say things at the right time without having to be right. Um, you know, I, I think that's a point, um, you know, that I still carry with me and, and try to practice every day. So just in terms of having a greater impact on diversity, I remember conversations earlier in my career where everyone in, in the room knew that we were talking about diversity. We were talking about some concerns and issues relative to diversity, but we didn't name it. We didn't call it out. We didn't, you know, say this is the elephant in the room. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, and I think, you know, to have an impact on diversity, we have to be explicit. Um, we have to make sure that we're calling it out, you know, whatever the issue or the concern is, even if you're talking about progress, you have to be specific about what the progress is and what caused the progress. So I think in terms of impacting diversity then and now, um, I'm, I'm very conscious of, uh, you know, being explicit and calling it out and calling it what it is, whether it's progress or whether it's, um, you know, regression, but um, just trying to make sure that that we can move forward. Yeah, can I, I think that's it. Being com sorry, Ingrid, if I could just add to that, be being comfortable, being uncomfortable, right, and, and calling it out, but making sure you're doing it in a respectful, non-defensive way. And so as we think, Absolutely. you know, this conversation is really, yeah, the, the conversation is about allyship. And you don't want to be defensive. You don't want to take it personally because sometimes people are just asking because they don't understand. They don't know. And so I think, you know, as we work and partner and collaborate with people on a daily basis, you build that level of respect and you build that level of trust and you want people to trust in you to be able to have an uncomfortable conversation or to ask something that they may not be sure about. Um, Ingrid, you were going to add something? Yeah. The only uh, point I wanted to bring up is just not letting person the good. I think there's such an analysis paralysis and, hey, compliance might do this or is this legal? So much of that gets spun up into making people really afraid as it relates to diversity and inclusion to, to do much of anything or to walk, take it so slow that, you know, the progress is just, it's bound to be limited because of that. I think that would be one of the things from a, you know, how do you have more of an impact? I think it's it's recognizing that if you want to see change, there has to be obviously a lot of things that have to be done differently and being comfortable, you know, a little bit of what you just said, comfortable being uncomfortable, really having to talk about the elephant in the room and then saying, okay, we've done it and we're all still alive. Guess what? Now we can start to figure out a plan <laughs> to put it in place to try to execute against trying to do those things. So those are some of the just small things. It's like not letting the fear of, oh my gosh, something might happen, i.e. maybe um, someone circles back and they want to sue because we said this or some, you know, sadly, companies get sued for all kinds of things. Many times they weren't doing anything wrong. So it's just, you know, a litigious culture. And, and for all those lawyers that are out there, I'm certainly not, you know, begrudging you your, <laughs> your income. It's just <laughs> one of the things where you just want to ensure that, we try your best to say if we're trying to move the needle in the space of representation or the practices that we do to make people feel like they belong in your firms, then you obviously will have to do a little bit more or a little bit different than you've done before. And just trying to figure out those ways to move towards that as opposed to letting fear and excuses kind of get in the way of that. That's that's kind of where I would say if I had 
um, my druthers of a way to help with the impact of diversity. And that's not just the asset management industry. I just feel like in general, from kind of from a corporate America standpoint. Yeah, and Ingrid, Ingrid, I think that's an interesting point. You know, there, there's this new uh, executive order that's you know around things that you can can and can't say around diversity, equity, inclusion training. And, and you touched on a little bit about you know the, the liability. Can can you provide some examples examples about having uncomfortable conversations when firms obviously are concerned about liability or um, you know, things like the executive order, are they aligned with, not aligned with um, the regulations? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't ever to pretend like I am a lawyer by any stretch of the imagination or compliance. However, you know, you want to be prudent. You want to listen to them and take their advice. That's why we pay them. But you also want to say, you know, how can we still do the good work in driving the progress that so many of our organizations have already put so much into place to try to start to move that needle? You obviously want to make sure you're well within the boundaries of what you're allowed to do, especially given the new mandates that have come down. But you got to try to still be smart about building that inclusive culture and trying to um, diversify your employee base, especially as we think about um, higher levels within those organizations. So, you know, that sounded probably like a vague answer. And I think because there's still so much that's unknown about what these regulations are, what are the impact, what are the, the, um, the key components of it. So my first thing is, is obviously to lean into the folks that you pay to take their advice but also to say, you know, what are you as a firm trying to do in this space? And is there a way that you can still continue on many of the paths you're already on, maybe making some some changes or tweaks to what you can do um, as it relates to what you just said, you know, the terminology and the language, but can you still continue in those efforts? And if so, try your best to, to, to do that so you don't let um, moments in time kind of slow down a process that's already kind of been a little bit slow to begin with. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, no, very, very helpful. Thank you. So, guys, we're just about midway through our time here. I told you guys that I took a day off and I came into work and that I'm expecting tons of questions. So, please, just as a reminder, please input your questions uh, for the panelists in the Q&A box and we will take those questions. And I'm actually going to um, pose one of the questions that was submitted. Um, I'm curious to hear about the extent to which you feel our industry still requires people of color to code switch in order to be heard. And if that, and if that is getting any better, can people be their authentic selves? Any suggestions on how to help foster a more inclusive workplace? Anyone want to start with that? Sure. Uh, Kim here. Oh, go ahead, Noel. You you should you should go ahead. Um, yeah, uh, thank you, thank you, Kim. Thank you, Kim. I'll, I'll be I'll be brief. I, I think for me, it's a lot of this uh, speaking from the context of our firm in particular. If the tone at the top is set right, then there shouldn't really be a need to code switch. And I think we've been lucky enough that for us, our leadership has been very direct, very blunt about uh, the need for change as far as um, diversity and identifying differences in people. So that immediately starts off, um, that helps right off the bat. So people come in feeling that they can be authentic. But again, admittedly, then your next challenge then is, how does your middle management respond to that? Do they feel that they're, you know, from their own, they're set in their ways from years of working a certain way? And that again, that will take time. It needs, but it does need very direct, very clear nudges from the top as that corporate culture begins to, to become accepted. 
Yeah, Kim, did you want to add something? Sure. I, I was just going to say, um, you know, you can only be you. And if you decide that you need to be someone else to perform at work, you're probably uh, not going to perform the best. And so I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, just in terms about being your authentic self, uh, in terms of earlier in my career, you know, I, I try to figure out, like, I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and I spoke a certain way. And there were there were things that we learned about relationships growing up on the south side of Chicago that may or may not have played well in the corporate environment. But there are some things I had to learn. It wasn't necessarily code switching, but it was making sure that I could speak the language of the people who I'm trying to influence. So I get a little bit um, bent out of shape when I'm when we're talking about code switching because I don't think I code switch. I think what I'm really doing is making sure that the language I use, the context that I use is um, proper um, or appropriate to influence the audience that I'm trying to influence. But I do that, you know, bringing my whole self to the table, knowing that I have to be me. And that the other thing about bringing, bringing your whole self to the table, when you're having sensitive conversations, such as what Nadia and Ingrid were talking about, those where we're trying to make sure that we're in compliance and that we're not creating liabilities for our uh, companies, our clients, um, ourselves, is when people understand that the purpose of the conversation is for us to um, create a better understanding. It's not necessarily to 100% always agree, right? But we're here, we're at the table, we're talking because I'm just trying to understand where you are and and hopefully you will understand where I am. And and I have found through my experience, and I know this may not be everybody's experience, but through my experience, if you start there, most of these conversations and being yourself and, and speaking the language of the people who you're trying to influence, if it starts there just from trying to develop a common understanding, you can say whatever you need to say, you know, with it being said respectfully, and your message will be uh, sent, delivered, received in that spirit. Um, so being myself and making sure that I can speak the language of those I'm trying to influence is really how I how I would answer this question and, and kind of view uh, creating and fostering an inclusive workplace. Um, because the only way it could really be labeled an inclusive workplace is if people can bring them whole their you know their whole self to work. Yeah, Kim, I was going to say something. I was going to jump in and, and add to that and say something almost the exact same. If you feel you are at a place that you cannot be your authentic self and that you can't bring your whole self to work every single day, you you might not be at the right place, and, and that's perfectly fine, right? For various different ways various different reasons, it just may not be the right fit for you. So you can't go into the job day one and say, okay, I don't feel like I'm being my whole authentic self and, and you want to quit, but you need to allow some time. And if you, once you get to know people, you earn their respect, you they learn to trust you and vice versa. You know, if you still are at that same place, then I would suggest you start looking someplace else because it's probably just not the right fit for you. And that is definitely more than okay. But, you know, I agree with you also, Kim, with the, you know, I, I always tell people that I've mentioned over the years, you know, deliver a message 
to people in a way in which they can receive it. And and some people receive messages very differently depending on who I'm talking to. Sometimes I need to put it in written format. Sometimes I need to sit with people and talk to it with them. Sometimes I need to do both, right? So, you know, I think that that whole concept of, you know, making sure that you are coming to a conversation and delivering a message in a way in which people can receive it is very important. And my mother always said, you know, there's a time and place for everything. You know, you, you can't do certain things. You know, you have to uh, sometimes adjust to the to um, to the environment or the space that you're in. Um, thank you. So we, we do have another question as well. Um, what are tangible measures of progress that you are most proud of? Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's where the hesitancy It's There's progress made in this DNI. Sometimes it could be tricky to put it put it down on paper. And, and Kim and, and Noel, I, I certainly invite you to, to offer counterpoints if you have them. There's obviously the traction you get when you can see from a representation, you know, what your board representation looks like to your executive committee and, and those layers um, down the line, what your, um, your portfolio folks or the folks that are in the sales department, like all of those types of numbers of representation, that's absolutely ways to kind of measure and track your progress in, in ways people can measure that. But it's also the other things. Um, and, and part of that, we somewhat touched on is how are we seeing is it a real culture of inclusion and do our teams have actual cultural competence that they're leveraging and using and and those are the harder things to actually kind of quantify you can have and we do encourage things like focus groups and or looking at your employee engagement survey data and information along those lines but there's so many there's so many ways to really think about this, and I think it's part of the additional layers of complexity when we say, you know, how are we trying to solve for the rich inclusion? Yes, there's representation is definitely a way that people, you know, can got that great rich distribution of gender diversity, ethnic diversity, people with different abilities, all these different dimensions of diversity represented all throughout the strata of your firm. I think you are doing a great job with representation. But if everybody's there and they're not working well together or they're not optimizing all the innovation that can come from the richness of people's backgrounds, then, you know, I, I think that's a, the next um, hill to, to kind of conquer in order to, to keep moving that needle. And eventually you get to that center and you start to really optimize all of the those different groups and all their different viewpoints to really start to be beyond innovative to be more than high-performing, high-functioning side of the, the spectrum. And that's when you get those different outcomes as it relates to a financial um, positive outcome and, and, and whatnot. So I, I would love to hear, you know, Kim and Noel be able to add uh, or, you know, dif differing opinion as well as to how they think um, about that answer. Yeah, Thank I'll, you. I'll give it a try. Go on, Ingrid, sorry. I have a really short, uh, simple one for this, but Ingrid, you know, your point around uh, representation is one thing, but you know that you've got an inclusive environment where that representation will actually lead to greater outcomes. One of the very specific things I look for when I'm managing teams, and I've done this, um, you know, really intentionally over the last, I would say, 15 years of my career, but um, when when the team can go from 
me asking questions and, and people actually, you know, answering questions in a team meeting that are pretty um, benign. Um, but when we're in a team meeting and people can challenge each other respectfully, challenge me respectfully, I know that we have now moved into an environment where we can perform because we can solve problems, we can be honest, we can share. Um, I get really, really happy. I mean, of course, everybody gets happy to to reach their goals and hit their targets. But one of the things that it, things that excites me the most um, in my current role in leading a team and developing people is when people come to me and say, you know, that was a tough meeting, but I'm so glad that that we had it. And I'm glad that I had a chance to express my views. And, um, you know, I to me, that's meaningful progress, um, you know, that that I actually don't even have to be there to create performance when people feel free enough to share their ideas um, and disagreements, but still move beyond it. Yeah, I agree strongly with the last few answers. And I think there's clearly a long way to go. But for me, I'm excited by the fact that we're having these conversations. I'm excited at that they're taking a, a front and center position as far as agendas for, for corporates and for the industry in general. I think that's a great starting point. Uh, a lot of the lack of progress was because this topic was pushed into the, the, the back row in the back seat and, and really kind of shunned. People didn't want to speak about it. It was you know, spoken about in code or by, by implication. But the fact that it's, 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 it's now at the forefront, um, you know, we've got firms talking about making this uh, part of their metrics they track for, you know, executive performance, um, right down to executive uh, compensation. And, and those are, are big and powerful statements and moves because suddenly people are thinking about it, but thinking about it in real ways beyond just rhetoric. So for me, that, that's a great start point uh, and the first few steps in a, in a long road. Yeah, absolutely. Noelle, if I could stick with you, um, how can investment companies significantly increase valuable internships? Sure. Thanks for that question. Um, I think from from my from my experience so far, a key thing here is, is partnerships, and along with that is a change in how these internships have been driven over the years. Uh, you often find that the recruitment pool was from the same uh, sources, the same schools. The first change there uh, that we're seeing value with is, is changing your pool of schools that you're that you're addressing. And to my first point about partnerships, there are numerous organizations that work with diverse student groups. Um, you know that are either you know have different challenges or are just you know top performing but are limited from opportunity by virtue of of just access. And I think as those strategic partnerships begin to be formed, um, that opens up a completely different and new pipeline of very different and very diverse talent opportunities. Thanks, Noel. Um, how about any advice for the group on um, companies that companies or firms that are just starting to focus on DNI? Any advice that you'd have for those companies? Ingrid, do you want to start us out with that? Sure, sure. Um, so I would say um, try to do a little research, but again, try to avoid that analysis paralysis piece. Talk to your peers if you happen to have diversity professionals on staff. 
I think those are, are pretty quick starts if you can and you're willing to engage a consultant if you need to, if you're a little bit wary to kind of take those first steps alone, which I certainly um, would encourage that as well. Um, it, it's I, I always keep in mind whenever I'm at any firm that I've been at, you know, get frustrated on a day, maybe something didn't go as well as I had hoped or something along those lines, I always have to remind myself, hey, Ingrid, you know, there's tons of firms that don't even have someone who has your role. So be thankful of that in the sense that, you know, at least the organization has, has taken that that large step. And then the next is just keep moving, keep going. So just in general, those are kind of my first initial thoughts. Others? Yeah, and I would say to expand on that a, a little bit of what Ingrid said, um, when you first start out on this journey, you're probably going to uncover things or discover information and and thoughts and mindsets that maybe you didn't know existed. And some of them might be heartening and some of them might be disheartening, but you'll have to propel yourself past that. Um, you know, so turn that into insights, turn that into data that you can use to create your program and to create your, you know, your goals. But um, I guess overall, just don't, don't be, um, you know, taken aback or don't be overwhelmed with what you discover in your your initial stages of research or, you know, trying to, you know, develop, you know, what what you're trying to accomplish. Don't, you know, don't be overwhelmed by that because there's, you know, once you start digging, is likelihood is there's a lot that will come at you. Um, and then you'll have to uh, sort through that to get to the most important bits that will move you further faster. So uh, just be prepared for that, I would say. Okay, great. And, and Kim, I'm going to stay with you for a second. Um, how have you dealt with racial or gender wage gap uh, when speaking about salaries is most commonly frowned upon? <laughs> yeah, thanks for that question, maybe. <laughs> um, so, so here's an example. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call it what it is, right? Um, you know, usually if we're talking racial or gender, we're talking people of color and women. This is not something, something that we often talk about when we're talking about, um, you know, our, our white male counterparts in terms of, you know, pay gap. That's not to say that some of them for roles that they're in, they may or may not have a pay gap. But largely speaking, when we're talking about this, um, we're talking about it for women and we're talking about it for um, people of color. So if it's frowned upon because we're talking about it for women, for people of color, then that's where I say I have to double down on my courage to make sure that we have the proper conversations about it. Um, and, and I will just say as a you know, executive within the organization, before I take anything to the executive table or my leadership table to, you know, pound the table about what we're doing and what we're not doing, I first look at the composition in my own team and figure out, is are there some opportunities there that I need to take action on? And um, without fail, through over the course of my career, I can always look in my own backyard and, and fix some things. And so I try to be um, the best advocate for addressing pay gaps by talking about the ones that I fixed or corrected in my own team. So um, 
you know, if it's frowned upon, then um, that's okay. You have to double down on some courage, um, but make the changes that you can make that are within your control um, to change. And then if we're talking about personal salary gaps or, you know, when you're trying to advocate or negotiate on your for yourself on your own behalf, again, I would just say um, be courageous because our um, you know, again, if we talk about gender, we're, we're usually not talking about men. And if we're talking about racial, we're not, we're usually not, we're usually talking about minorities. Um, just know that they are all talking about it on their behalf. So you have to be able to, you know, be educated and speak about what, um, your role, what your performance has, um, actually earned and, um, you know, if it requires courage to do that, then double down on it. But um, I, I would just say you 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 can't because you think it might be frowned upon. You you there are people who are going to talk about it and advance themselves and advance others. So you you just have to know that. Yeah, I love that, Kim. You know, I think as, as a leader, you know, if you if you're not an individual contributor, meaning you don't lead a team of people, if, as a leader. Yeah, I love the concept of looking in your own backyard first, right? So even though we can't fix the problem corporate-wide, you have within your influence to close the gap, to make sure that there's fair and equitable pay within your teams. And, you know, I, I would say most companies uh, on an annual basis have performance reviews, and, and you may have to have, you know, do, do a few difficult, uh, have to have a few difficult conversations, and you may have to close, lessen the gap by, you know, giving someone else a higher performance increase than someone else, mm-hmm. even though they both are performing at the same level, but you have two peers, one is making more than the other, you, you may have to bump the other person up. So I, I love that idea of kind of looking in your backyard and, and trying to fix it if it's not right in your own organization. Uh, Noel or Ingrid, do you have anything to add to that? Um, just, uh, well said. <laughs> That's all I would have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, I have another question. Um, so with the recent incidents around the U.S., such as George Floyd, firms have increased their focus on DNI. How do you rec- how do you recognize what is truly authentic versus just checking the box? And what advice do you have to raise, to raise this to the organization, to raise this in the organization? Anyone care to set us out? Um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a, an initial shot. So I think the key thing that it, it is easy to check the box because, you know, people feel they need to speak up and say something or be perceived to be trying to uh, address this within their different firms. I think in speaking about it internally, the, the, the main test towards uh, authenticity is what actionable points are arising from whatever is being discussed? Are those being tracked? Because um, yeah, what, what gets tracked is what gets, you know, actioned on. So that's the first starting point is that are you gathering actual actionable items? Then from there, you know, what's happening with them? Can can the can the organization see um, where these things are going? Are there, are there actual plans around implementation that you can see that can drive actual change? And I think that, that's sort of where you begin to see real value. So if you're seeing just conversations, but there's no follow-up, uh, there's no long-term plan that, that's being uh, discussed or, or, or divulged, then I think at that point you may have a concern. Yeah, true. 
there's another question. Then, we're, we're told to, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say to Noel's point, um, you know, what are, what are the actions, um, you know, implementation plans, all of that. One of the things that I would say with this is, especially after George Floyd, we saw an influx of conversations. Um, but the one thing that I have, when someone has asked me, I don't go around giving people my advice if they're asking for it, but when someone asks, um, I will usually ask the question, well, what do you know that you can already change? Like, what's the evidence that you already have? It kind of points back to Ingrid's point around, um, you know, analysis paralysis. It, you didn't need to go and create a whole new set of data because these events occurred. What data do you already have that you now know it is proper, appropriate, the right time to act on it. So I think the way that we can relieve some of this tension around, you know, did, did, you, did this just spin up because of George Floyd and it's going to, we're going to talk about this for a moment versus is this really a movement? Act on what you already know. Hmm. Yeah, great point, Kim. So there's another question. We are told to social distance, wear a mask, and wash our hands for COVID. What are the three most impactful things we can do to make a significant impact on DNI in our industry? It's a great question. So if you guys had the, the top three things that you think could make an impact on DNI for our industry. I'll start out, and I know the second I name whatever three I come up with, uh, five seconds later, I'm going to think of 20 more. So, uh, <laughs> but we won't hope. It doesn't here. have to be this. <laughs> thank God. Absolutely. It doesn't uh, have to be this so, top three Ingrid. Just sorry. <laughs> just thank you. Um, so I would say, uh, accountability, um, personal and corporate accountability. So to me, that's, that's one and the same, meaning have your employees understand how they are a part of the change they want to see. Could you articulate that with actual practical application of how that works and have it so that people understand what success looks like. And that is a part of what accountability, what I'm thinking about it means. Um, I The word uh, authentic has been batted around here a few times, but um, what I mean by that is just making sure this is my second one, that we there, people are coming in with a sincere heart, even if the sincere heart is, I don't believe in this. I don't think it's what we should be spending our time with, feeling like you, too, have a right to be able to express that and just being open. And I think that that is a part of the process where so many people and where companies get stuck is that they just struggle with understanding how to have let everyone have um a say in this process and then not invalidate others because they feel like um, it's it's wrong or that's the opinion they don't want to hear. I think at some point um, we have to make sure we're being open to everyone. And I guess the third yeah. one is to be persistent. Um, please, please, please don't do a one and done. Don't do a two and done. Um, you have to really understand this is the longest race you will ever run and it never stops. And just as you think you can't take another step, you have to find it within yourself to keep going. So understanding that it's a long path and even just saying that people are like, oh my gosh, I'm tired just listening to her. I don't, I don't know if I want to sign up for that, uh, but you have to, you know, <laughs> whether your clients make you have to do it or your internal people make you have to do it or your senior leaders 
at some point it'll show up. So why not be a part of shaping what that looks like versus kind of having to respond to it? So that would be my three. Mm. Perfect. Kim, no. I don't know if I have three, but I I, I definitely have one. Um, I'll take it. And <laughs> Ingrid mentioned it um, just in terms of accountability. But I guess the way that I would frame accountability is we all have clients, whether they're internal within our organization or we're actually dealing with the external partnerships or the external clients. Um, that we support. And if our client comes up and says, you know, we're not performing the way that we should perform, or there are a number of issues, it's all hands on deck, right, to solve that problem for our client. And there's accountability that goes with that, right? There's, there's consequences for revenue, there's consequences for, you know, uh, sustainable client satisfaction, you know, a, a lot of things that we could point to and say there there are consequences or, you know, there are ways that we hold people accountable. So if we really believe that the DE&I effort leads to greater performance outcomes for firms, in my opinion, my humble opinion, we would be doubling down. It would be all hands on deck the same way that we do when we solve client problems. And if we don't do that, there is accountability, there are consequences for not answering the call. So I I I think it's accountability, accountability, accountability. Well that's a great number one, Kim. Well I'll take it. Noel, do you have anything to add? <laughs> um yeah, I, I agree with all of those. Um and and I think the strong one for me is uh being open minded. Um the argument here is that diversity is has social benefits, but also is good for business. And so we're saying people coming in with different ideas and perspectives is a good thing. And so I think within ourselves, it's important to maintain the same perspective. So being open-minded, you know your own experience, you know where you've come from, what you've experienced, but you aren't familiar what lens other people are seeing the same situation and problems through. So I think it's good to be open-minded hear what the, the views are, whether they match yours or they're divergent. Um, so open-mindedness, being open in speaking and sharing your own experience as well, um, and trying to be judgment-free at the outset. Thanks. Then finally, oh, I guess I'll great. say sincerity. Okay, I'm sorry? No, I'll say finally, maybe I'll say sincerity as well is critical, in, mm. along with both of those. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that I think Nixon nailed it with these series because I would say the three things are listen, learn, and lead. If you can consistently do those things, um, I, I think it will help us on the path of DEI. It will help us on the path of multiple different things. So I, I think if, you know, people kind of put those three things in the forefront, um, that, that really helps us a lot. And this is going to be the last question because we're just about up uh, with time. So the last question I'll talk about, um, what is the benefit of collective and collaborative efforts um, similar to the Diversity Project of North America? Super quick, I would say it gives people um, an opportunity, meaning corporations and, and those leaders that are within them, an opportunity to network for one another, to you know not reinvent wheels, not spending a whole bunch of time 
coming up with something when another firm's already done it well. Um, they can lift that information and programming and try to adopt it themselves and have, you know, a great resource to and a partner. So I, I see a lot of benefit in organizations really pooling their resources together because I think it's some it's an area where many firms struggle. So I, I think there's a benefit there. In addition to uh, the best practices that I think you're talking about, Ingrid, it's, you know, an organization like this, a collaborative effort like this can really um, shine a light on all those things that are working well, you know, from the best practices perspective. But it can also, because we are a group of people who are in the industry, companies who care about this particular initiative, we can also talk openly, candidly about what's not working and and shining a light on that and then um you know doing the proper research to make sure that we uh we double down on on what will work and noel noel this is the last question do you want to chime in on it anything else to add to that yes just a quick point that you know working on these initiatives within our organizations you know just given uh the numbers that you're dealing with can feel a little bit lonely and i think that these initiatives such as uh the diversity project kind of give you peers to, to sound this out to realize that there is a bigger team and they support out there to help you know share ideas and expand perspectives you've been listening to nixa talk nixa is a trade association supporting all types of professionals within the asset management community for information on how your firm can become a member, visit nixa.org membership. Subscribe to Nixa Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And let us know your thoughts by reviewing our podcast on iTunes and connecting with us on Twitter at Nixa News. For over 50 years, Nixa has been connecting the people of the asset management industry to share best practices. Join the conversation today at nixa.org.